the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDeal. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. And welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 137. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... Uh, this is Ed. And this is Stella. And we are bringing you the latest comic news and comic book reviews from May 4th through May 17th. We have a total of three books to cover and just a small amount of news, so let's get right into the news. The very first thing we have is on May 14th, it was announced that Batman Beyond 2.0 is going to be, uh, it's going to be going from every other week to weekly. Um, basically, starting with chapter number 25, Batman Beyond 2.0 is going to have a big story of what happened between Bruce and Terry, featuring some flashback sequences, um, similar to an event on the scale of Return of the Joker. Um, if you remember that film from years ago, uh, Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, it was pretty big. It kind of set up how things change within the animated universe and eventually led to Batman Beyond. Um, when Batman Beyond 2.0 launched, the idea was that it was taking place in a, not a distant future, but in a future from where it was currently taking place. Um, so when Kyle Higgins took over Batman Beyond, the idea was, and them giving it the 2.0 in the title, it was basically, we're moving forward, and now we're going to be getting to the point where we're going to start to learn the events that took place in that time period that we haven't seen. Um, it's going to start going weekly as of, uh, the, as of chapter 25. Currently, it's in the middle of a crossover that's uh, happening with Just League 2.0, or Just League Beyond. Um, so... Batman Beyond 2.0, I mean, I don't really think it's going to matter that much that it goes weekly. If anything, it'll just mean that uh, there will be a Batman Beyond 2.0 issue, uh, print issue, probably every month that will be solely focusing on Batman Beyond. Now, that might be, I don't know for for certain if that means the Just Sleep part is not going to be happening. Um, that's been the opposite week of Batman Beyond ever since this new relaunch. Um, but to keep up with it, uh, the, the the news of it going weekly, Phil Hester will be drawing for the new arc along with Eric Wright, who is actually one of the creator design uh, character designers from the original Batman Beyond show. Um, he's going to be illustrating some of the flashbacks. Um, and Kyle Higgins is going to be joined by co-writer Alex Siegel, who he happens to also be doing a... The two of them also happen to be doing a series for Image Comics called Cowl, um, and he'll be joining the book as the co-writer on the on the title as well. So, lots of changes happening with Batman Batman Beyond 2.0. All right, the next one we've got also on May 14th, the solicitation for Batman number 34, which would be the first issue after Zero Year Ends was released, and it will be written by Scott Snyder, um, but it is in fact not going to be drawn by Greg Capullo. Uh, the art and cover will be done by Matteo Scalera. Um, the solicitation reads, Zero Year is over and the events of Batman Eternal have put Gotham City in a tailspin. But Batman is focused on finding a killer 
who has haunted his hometown in secret for years. The special each issue features art by Matteo Scarra and sets the stage for the next major Batman story in the fall. Um, now, we talked about this on the last episode about what Scott Snyder has planned for Batman afterwards. And he said it was going to be a short story. I follow Scott Snyder on Twitter and he happened to tweet something saying that after starting in October, which would be after the, after the, uh, you know, September special issue, which we know is the future's end issue. Um, after September, he'll start his new arc with Greg Capullo. Uh, that would be issue 35. And the story is going to be telling, it will be telling the story of, the story will take place over the course of six months. So, shorter than Zero Year and shorter than uh, Court of Owls, but still not too short. Yeah, I mean, six issues, that's still, um, I mean, that's still something that's going to be collected by itself, so... Uh, I guess the break he was referring to was just for the one issue. Um, I don't really mind it. I like Scott's. I think six issues is good. I think Zero Year is too long. Uh, I think Court of Owls was too long. I think Death of the Family was about about the right one. It could have been a little bit longer. So six issues I can live with as long as it's not 12 or 18. I'm guessing that the the actual specific break is not only 34 but also the Future's End issue because he is actually going to be co-writing the Batman Futures End number one issue that's going to come out in September. He's co-writing that with Ray Fox. Um, Greg Capullo is not doing the art for that. Um, the, the, in addition to the solicitation for this, they released the creators that are going to be attached to the books um, for the Futures End issues that are coming out in September. Um, most of the writers are pretty similar to what they are. The only one that I noticed was was different. Um, based off of the current stuff that's releasing is Batman and Robin Future's End number one is going to be written by Ray Fox and Catwoman Future's End is written by Charlie Fish um, but everybody else all of the other books have the, the normal writers on the books that are currently uh, writing the stories um, the artists are kind of all over the place there's, there's very there's no artists that are normal artists on any of these titles that I'm, I'm seeing um, I here's the thing. Okay, so every year since the New Fifty Two launched, every September DC does this thing where they try to have, uh, you know, they're basically their anniversary of the beginning of the New Fifty Two by having these weird events. We had Zero Year, we had uh, well, the Zero, Villains Zero, Month. Yeah, Villains Month last year, and then obviously the launch of the New Fifty Two in the first September, and this year we have Future's End. Now, do you think that it's a good idea for them to continue to do this in the future, considering outside of the writers writing the stories, it's just fill-in artists mostly that are doing the work? They're not showcasing any specific work from any of their high-profile name artists. So really, what's the point? Um, I can tell you my kind of viewpoint on this, which is I would be totally cool if every September they did a series of like one-shots or original graphic novels, you know, or something to, to celebrate, you know, New 52's anniversary. I'm, I'm actually okay with that, and being that September is when my birthday is, you know, it's like oh, they're... It's convenient for you. Yeah, you know. it's doing it for me, but um, I just don't like when we break with the stories that's going on. Um, if, you're reading, if you're reading Green Lantern or Batman, Batwoman, whatever, we have to take a break in the stories and get back to it a month later. Like I said, it'd be totally cool, and I like the idea of celebrating the anniversary every year. 
like I said, if they want to do some one shots, some graphic novels, some stuff like that, I'd be totally fine with it. I just don't like like when they stop the stories and then like pick them up in a month. Because we have we have so many breaks for crossovers and stuff like that. I mean, crossovers and stuff like that. I mean, wasn't it Batwoman last year that like every other month got broken up? It was it was Villains Month, regular issue, Zero Year, regular issue, Gothotopia, whatever, regular issue. I mean, it was like it, you couldn't even get through a story arc. So. That's my only complaint about it. But I, I think most of the times they work out pretty cool. They just – I don't like the breaking up of the stories. Yeah, same here. I, I don't really have it, – it didn't only happen to Batwoman, but it happened to Batgirl as well and Birds of Prey. Basically, anything involved with the Bat family is going to be broken up. Uh, so I think adding an extra issue rather than taking away from the storyline would be better. Yeah, I, I mean, the, my biggest complaint with it is – that it seems as if the the main the top ten books for DC, those stories seem to always coincidentally end their run right before. If you look way back when the Court of Owls ended, it ended in July. They had one off issue, then they had the special issue for September, then they started their next storyline, which was Death in the Family, of the Family. Uh, that that right away right after September. So it was basically like September, we're going to get a bunch of sales because we have these, you know, we're really pushing the marketing for them because they're all these number ones and it's so great. And then we're going to launch the next big story to because people are going to be picking up those number one issues and saying, hey, I wonder what's next one. The the biggest thing with the, the issues is that it seems like if you look at Scott Snyder's stories, Death of the Family... Uh, not quarter vowels, but uh, you look at zero year. All of them really picked up after the the September months. Zero year started, I believe, in July, but it really didn't like. It wasn't like it's it really halted in the middle of September because it really didn't start doing anything really spectacular. But when you look at all of the other characters that weren't, you know, within the top ten books, and how they all intertwined with the crossovers that happen right after that from those storylines zero year and death of the family those characters their stories were just tossed aside and said okay we're going to do the special issue for september then within two months afterwards we're going to do uh the time with the current crossover that we're really trying to promote and in the mean in the meantime if you have a story that started in july and you have an issue that comes out in august You'll maybe be able to pick it up in October, but maybe not, depending on the timing of things. But then you're going to have only every other month to deal with it unless you figure out some way of working your current story in with the crossover that we're having for these other titles. And that's the, that's the biggest thing. Like, every, like both of you said, it's, it's the biggest thing is there's no reason to keep doing this if the only reason to do it is just to get a ton of sales. And honestly, the fact that it's gotten to the point where we don't even have normal high-profile artists. We have artists who – nothing against the artists who are on the books. I'm not saying that they're second tier, but they're not the artists that are normally attached to these titles. They're specifically doing these special issues, but it's not the high-profile artists that people are say, you know, talking about leading up to the book. So that's that's the biggest problem I have with this is the fact that like it just seems like – they're trying to cash in as much as they can on this September thing. And we're not really getting anything worthwhile. Like, the stories that we got last year with the villains, I thought there was... I, I Honestly, a lot of them sucked really bad. And 
it doesn't it didn't really do anything other than hey there's these really cool uh, covers that you can check out and outside of that the stories inside were subpar didn't have anything to do with the current storylines and then we had these second we had we had these other artists that weren't the normal artists so honestly I'd be fine with them celebrating in some way you know maybe you know they have a month where the main characters or the characters that are within that top 10 uh, selling ones they have graphic novels and they're written by great writers drawn by great artists that spend an entire year doing them instead of doing something where it, you know it's it's not necessarily the greatest stuff in the world the next bit of news we have is there was an interview that was posted up on Newsarama um, this was with the two writers that are attached to the Grayson series that's launched in July Tom King and Tim Seeley most of, the, most of it is talking about just how it came to be, things like that. But I thought there was a couple of interesting points that we should take note on. Um, one of the questions that was posed is that, you know, how did they come to the idea of making Dick Grayson a super spy? Um, and basically they said that Spiral, the organization from Batman Incorporated, was, was just left over from Grant Morrison's story. And it seemed like a, a shame to waste a Batman Universe-tied, morally questionable spy organization from Morrison's run if they wanted to do a, if they wanted Grayson to be a super spy. So that's why he's linked to Spiral. Um, the the interview goes on to talk about a variety of different things. Um, you know how how does the effect of everyone believing that he's dead except for Batman have affect him? And it's basically that they they said that. The idea is that he is going to constantly feel at odds with Batman because he doesn't like the idea of everyone thinking that he's dead and that Batman is the one who let him die. Um, also, in the interview, they talk about the fact that uh, the issue number 30 that's coming out um, at the end of May, that issue is actually going to be split into three separate parts kind of what he was, what he is, and what he will be, and the last part will focus on, kind of, it'll kind of be a preview of what is to come in Grayson when July rolls around. Um, now, the other thing that I thought was really cool about what they talked about in here was that they, they mentioned that uh, he's going to have a partner, and his partner is a female, and she's also going to be part of the organization. And who could it be? Well, they're trying to pull things straight from the Batman universe. His partner is actually going to be Helena Bertinelli. Really? Yep. And it's not Huntress. This is not Huntress that we've seen in World's Finest. This is a completely different... This is actually the new 52 Helena Bertinelli, not Helena Wayne Huntress from World's Finest, who's actually from Earth 2. This is actually the new 52 version of Helena Bertinelli. Um, she's going to be Dick's partner in the actual series. Um, they didn't go into a whole lot of links, but they did say that uh, uh, she's an amazing spy. She's definitely better than Dick, and she has to, and, and that Dick has to learn from her. Oh my gosh, this this is like I mean, it's basically Black Widow. I mean, is anyone else like feeling deja vu that this is just Winter Soldier and Marvel stuff, and they're tweaking it just slightly so it's not copying. Um, I, I, I think it's a, a tad too ridiculous. I'm sure they're going to try to ship those two, and I don't think I would 
really ever ship those two. I mean, Dick and Dinah was a bit of a stretch for me, and it kind of worked. But him and Helena, I don't know about that. Uh, it'll be interesting, I guess, to see the dynamics, but please don't ship them. Well, I guess it depends, too. I guess my thought would be, is this going to be a new 52 version of, of Helena? I mean, she might be totally different. Yeah, I mean, that's the idea. I mean, we haven't seen her in the new 52. I mean, everybody, when initially when World's Finest was released... Well, here's the thing. It's hard to say, because if you remember, there we did have the was, Huntress... Wasn't there a miniseries? Yeah. yeah. That was written by Paul Levitz, right... It was like two or three months... that It started two or three months after the new 52 started. But a lot of people were saying that this wasn't necessarily the Huntress we were going to end up seeing in World's Finest. This could be a different Huntress. So... I honestly feel as if that miniseries is pro- was probably out of continuity compared to the New 52. It was probably planned way before the New 52 happened, and it just happened, you know, they wanted to release it because it was done, but they had no intention of that being the Huntress, because that Huntress, I believe, was Lena Bertinelli. I mean, there was a lot of references to who we would believe Helena Bertinelli would be. So, um... That, if you look at publication history within the New 52, it's probably not the first time. But within the continuity, it probably is the first time that this character will be in it, if you take out that miniseries. Well, at least they made it straightforward and not confusing in any way. Oh, yeah, of course. All right, so then outside of that, the only other news we have comes on May 15th. Uh, the There was a rundown of what we can expect in Batman Eternal this coming August. Um, Batman Eternal number 18, we see the we see the art being done by Andy Clark. 19 has art by Emmanuel Simone, as well as number 20. And 21, Jason Fabok is back to do issue 21. Um, it doesn't specifically say who is doing the stories in these. As we know, the story... Is, is being plotted by Snyder and Tinian, but the scripts are done by the individual writers, and specifically with the ones we're doing today, five and six, there's two different writers on each title, so, or each issue. So, the solicitations, there's not really a whole lot of, uh, you know, news here. 18 says Batgirl and Batwoman, and Jason Todd race to find evidence that may save Commissioner Gordon. 19 says Jason Bard and Batman are forced to help Killer Croc when his followers are attacked by demonic monsters from the Black Maze. Well, I, I bet that one would be Ray Fox. Gotta be, yeah. Uh, 20 says James Gordon takes on Falcone's crime army from inside Blackgate. And 21 says after being injected with the fear toxin, Elfrin is dragged away to Arkham Asylum. Alright, so outside of 19, probably because it has the mystical elements and deals with the Black Maze, outside of that, we don't know the writers for the other ones, but I'm sure that's Ray Fox. Um, what, the one thing that I find weird is that Layman is still being labeled on these titles, even as far, as, as far back, as far forward as August, even though we were told that Layman was really only going to be on the first, he was going to be doing four issues towards the beginning of the series and that was it. He was leaving, and Higgins was going to be taking his place. Higgins' name is not appearing on anything. Layman's name is still appearing on everything. So I'm really wondering what the what the reason for that is, or if they really did have that so far planned in the future that by the time Layman 
revealed that he was going to leave in, I believe it was the end of February. They had it planned so far forward that they already had stories through August. But even that, that seems, that's, I mean, well, at least for DC, that seems far-fetched. It's way out there, but I, mean, I think it's got to be what it is, because I don't think that Lehman was one name on a book that he didn't write, and I think Higgins would definitely want his name on something he did write. You know? True, but at the same time, we've seen times where Snyder and Tinian co-write something. Snyder's name is, you know, Snyder plotted it, but he didn't actually write it, and he gets the top credit for it. We've seen that, because I've actually seen Tinian tweet online um, about when a book comes out that the two of them co-write how his name's... He, there was, I don't remember which one it was. It was I think it was Batman 28, where Snyder was getting full writing credit on the front cover Tinian's name wasn't even on it or something like that. And Tinian said something about it on Twitter, and Snyder was telling people on Twitter, you know, this book's actually written by Tinian, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just thinking, you would think they would get that stuff worked out before it went to print, but eh, I guess not. You never know with these guys. All right, so with that, we're going to jump straight into our comic book reviews, and the first book we have is Detective Comics number 31. Uh, Detective Comics number 31, Icarus Part 2. Francis Manipool and Brian Buscelletto are the storytellers in this book, as they like to call themselves. Um, so this issue opens up with Harvey Bullock investigating the death of Elena at Wayne Manor that we saw at the end of, uh, of last issue. Uh, Bullock has not seen the drug Icarus on the street in the past six years, um, and he is convinced that Bruce has given her the drug uh, there at Wayne Manor before she died. Uh, Bruce refutes this and offers to take a drug test to put Bullock's fears at bay. Uh, Bullock warned Bruce, warns Bruce not to leave the city until he's had a chance to clear him as a suspect. Uh, we then cut to the place where Elena was actually given uh, the drug. Uh, Batman is investigating the scene. Um, we see evidence there that she didn't take the drug by choice and was forced to, forced to do so. Uh, Bath, Batman remarks to Alfred that this has become very personal for Harvey, and he needs to solve it before Harvey does something stupid. Uh, we then come back to GCPD headquarters, and we see uh, Harvey on, on the way down to the cells to question uh, his best leads in this investigation. And, of course, in, in best Gotham fashion, when he gets there, all of his leads have uh, have killed themselves inside the cells. Uh, we then see a uh, drug dealer, Ash, uh, making his way through the Narrows, uh, where he's approached by a man in a car and asks if he is the one asking about and looking for the Icarus. He tells him that he is, and he says if the guy has some Icarus, he can definitely sell it on the streets. Uh, the man in the car fires point-blank at his chest and seemingly kills him. After the rest of the people on the street kind of flee, run away, we see uh, see a van pull up with Alfred in it. He picks up the uh, the body of Ash and puts it inside. And this is, of course, revealed to be Bruce, wearing an EMP mask in disguise. And he did all this to put a tracker on the car uh, of the man who shot him. We then see Elena's funeral, funeral and a really quick scene with uh, Congressman Young from last episode uh, telling Lester that if uh, he will help them kill... Bruce Wayne's plans for the waterfront, then he will keep his indiscretions from coming to life. Uh, after the funeral closes, closes down, uh, Bullock confronts Wayne and says that these rich kids are all the same and observes that Elena's daughter didn't even bother to show up for a funeral. He also tells Bruce that his drug test did come back clear and that his captain wants him to change the focus of his investigation, uh, but he says that he is still not sure that Bruce is not, uh, not guilty. Uh, we then see Elena's daughter on the street trying to score some Icarus, but the dealer tells her that uh, no one has any more, but there is a shipment expected to be in next week. Uh, Batman has uh, finally followed the tracker to a location on the Gotham docks, 
where he finds containers which turn out to be full of uh, children who are being sold uh, into some kind of, of child slavery ring. As he begins to free the children, he's attacked by uh, Sumo, which is exactly as his name kind of implies, the giant sumo wrestler type guy. Um, they fight, and at the end, of course, Batman wins. And Sumo's in great pain. Looks like he shattered a vertebrae in his back or something along those lines. And um, Batman interrogates him about the death of Elena. He tells her that he didn't kill her, but he did help uh, Mr. Squid get rid of the car. Uh, we see that one of Mr. Squid's goons is listening into this whole thing and radios back to his boss that, that Sumo squealed and, and Batman now knows everything. And on the last page, we see um, a man in a van who's uh, glowing pink with an assortment of tubes and wires going out of, in and out of him. And the two men there say they need to take care of him before he literally blows up in their face. Uh, to be continued. Okay, first question here. Um, we see this really quick cutscene with Elena's daughter. She misses the uh, uh, the funeral, and then we see her out what looks like is attempting to buy drugs in the streets of Gotham. Um, where do you think they're going to go with the, with the daughter here moving forward? My, my thought is for the daughter is that she's on a revenge thing. She knows, okay, I'm guessing, I don't know, that she's probably going to be out for revenge for her mom. She's trying to find where the Icarus is because maybe her mom knew about Icarus. Maybe she knew about Icarus just because of her, you know, well, it seems like she's knowledgeable when it comes to the streets. And she knows who to go to and things like that. So maybe she's just knowledgeable about it. Maybe she's knowledgeable about the fact that it exists. Her mom is was you know was killed by it. She knows this, and now she's trying to find out who's selling it so that she can go after them. We saw in the last issue how she has all these different skills related to motorcycles, um, leading us to believe that she could be you know somebody who would be going after revenge on her mom, but. I'm thinking it's probably most likely going to be she's looking for the drugs to find out who, who's who's got them. Same thing like Batman's trying to do when he goes undercover. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think, um, I think if anything, this is like a misdirection uh, to make it seem like she's somehow guilty and everything like that. But uh, I think it's just someone missing her, potentially her mother's funeral, just because she is. It almost reminds me of Arrow because... On that TV show, Ollie didn't go to his mother's funeral, but he was kind of doing something else. So I think just her attention is, I'm going to get back at whoever did this. And so she's going through and, and making connections potentially and, I guess, making her way up to the top and, and investigating and trying to figure out what happened. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you guys. I think that the um, they definitely try to make her look like she's a bad kid out trying to get drugs, but I think it's a little too obvious. Um, so I'm assuming she is trying to track down the person that, that killed her mom. I think that would be be the most logical and, and does seem to make the most sense. I was just curious if anyone else felt different about it. Um, the other thing really deals with this issue and the last issue and the new creative team is um, this this issue here and seems to have a lot more um, detective than we've typically had in detective comics since the relaunch in the New 52 I really felt like they put a better, a more of a focus on that element of the story here, which which I liked. But I was wondering if, if you guys felt that that they were putting a, a focus change, and, and did you like it? You know, when when Detective Comics first launched in the New Fifty Two, Tony Daniel was the the writer, and I really did not. I wasn't a big fan of what he was doing. Layman came on board, and we actually said the exact same thing at the time. We said that Layman was doing a much better job of focusing on the detective elements. There was a couple issues that he's like he he was specifically tying things together and coming to uh, you know a solution by the end. I'm thinking specifically of the issue featuring Clayface and Poison Ivy, 
uh, towards the beginning of uh, the Penguin Ogilvy story. Um, we said the exact same thing, that they were doing a much better job of uh, focusing on the detective element. And even so more here. This is even that much more than Lehman was doing. Um, it, it, in, in some way, well, in a lot of ways, it's it's actually a lot more focusing on the detective element. I think it's really cool that, you know, we're, we see how he's coming to these conclusions instead of just, you know, there's other issues that do it. It's not that there's not issues that do it, but because it is called Detective Comics, you really should have the focus on the detective element. We've said this before, but I think that they're actually doing a really good job. And, you know, if you, you have to assume that they're not going to be on the book forever. So you assume that whoever comes on board next, if they were to take it, the detective element even more, so than what they're doing right now, what would that, what would that look like? And that's like a hypothesis that we don't really need, or a, you know, theorizing something we don't really need to think about right now. But I'm just thinking, like, this is really good. I just hope that it stays the focus. The focus stays on what they're doing with the detective element because that's one thing that Layman. It seemed like as the story progressed and as he got more into telling his story, the focus slowly went away from the detective element. It was still there. But the focus wasn't on it, and I hope that they keep the element that... I hope that Manipul and Buccioletto keep the elements of the detective uh, in the book for their entire run. So you're saying that it, it changed from something that was not a detective? It, 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 to me, it didn't feel like it was as focused on, you know, the explanation. and, and the, This thing just seems like it's going a little deeper to me. Oh, this one is, yeah. So you're saying before it was not. Yeah, I'm saying the layman and obviously Daniel, but was was really not as focused on the detective story as this seems to be. Yes, yeah, I agree, and and I think there's more of a connection to the cops now and cops that are not James Gordon, uh, which I think is pretty awesome that we're highlighting Bullock here, and Bullock is not being characterized as kind of this screw-up, but is actually um, saying some smart things and, and trying to get to the bottom of what's going on. Um, and the detective aspect's not only coming from Batman, but I think people around him and you can, you know, like the daughter herself and everything. Uh, and I think that's great because all the other books, we just have a lot of punching and fighting and weird family matters and all sorts of things. So, yes, getting back to Batman being the world's greatest detective is an awesome thing, and I agree. I hope it continues. You know, I, I do like the fact that Bullock does make a point to say that Gordon is locked up um, and we can we know that that's directly an element from Batman Eternal. Um, the fact that they're 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 recognizing the fact that that's currently happening. I like that aspect of it. Layman did that too sometimes, where he would he would mention things that were happening um, in other books. But uh, this issue and last issue, they both had comments relating to the fact that this was taking place exactly during the time of Batman Eternal. So it'll be interesting to see how their story continues if it actually ties within the same time frame of Eternal, knowing that Eternal, you know, we're going to end with this city on fire and Bruce Wayne strung up, how is Detective Comics going to kind of focus on that as well? But with Bullock, I think one of the things we can probably look forward to, based, just based off of the just the, the passerby moment that we had where uh, Bullock says that his partner and him made sure that the Icarus was off the streets six years ago and his partner lost his life to make sure that it happened. I'm hoping at some point we actually get to see that story because not only would we get to see how it happened, but we also get a little bit more of the back history of, of Bullock and how he has actually been 
around and, you know, he just didn't show up when Gordon came into the picture. You know, we can see how he was and how he is as a cop and, you know, not that he's just, you know, some lazy loof. So I'm looking forward to if they do that too. You know, I think too, did, I don't know if, did you guys read the Flash Zero Year tie-in that, that these two wrote? I did not. Uh, check it out. You can get it from your local comic retailer. Um, it is about Barry Allen in um, Gotham City when this first bout of Icarus comes around uh, six years ago. So a lot of what you're talking about is actually in that Flash issue. And see, that's um, well. And if I read it, that would make it even that much more smart writing. The fact that they they if they didn't know that they were going to be doing the issue, or they weren't if they didn't know at the time when they were doing the zero year for Flash that they were going to be uh, on Detective Comics, and they just did that, and now it's playing through now that they are on Detective Comics, that's even, I mean, that's just, that that's, that's what, you know, they're thinking very cautiously and effectively of how, what they're writing. I think that's really smart. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's one of those ones where I'm really surprised where we didn't see an editor's note dropped in here at some point, you know, which was, hey, if you want to see more about the Icarus back, then go back and, and read the, the Flash episode from Zero Year. But yeah, no, I, I think the writing is smart. I think that it's, it's great to see this kind of detective story, and I do like the fact that it's not just, you know, Batman goes, oh, you know, when he when he specifically talks about like the blood spray, and I can tell where she was struggling, and and uh, a little CSI, you know, in depth in, in in the detective issue is is really really welcome to me, and and I just hope that they keep this tone going forward because, like Dustin brought up, sometimes you see people take over detective and then they they try to make it very detectivey. I don't think that's a word, but um, when they first take it over, and then they kind of filter off. But uh, these two have, have started really strong here, and, and I like not just the story, but the general feel of the book. So, yeah, I uh, I hope they keep it up as well. And the one last thing I want to mention is these covers have been absolutely amazing. Um, last month's issue, this month's issue, the next month's issue. I mean, looking at these covers, these covers are really, really not, like amazing. Um, it reminds me of, almost of uh, some of the early Batwoman covers that were done by uh, Blackman, or not Blackman, uh, J.H. Williams. Williams. Yeah, J.H. Williams, where, you know, they're, they're a little over the top, but they just are f- just absolutely fantastic artwork. So I wanted to mention that because I, I was looking at some of the covers coming up, and some of them are just amazing. All right, so Detective Comics number 31, I'm going to give this one a total of four out of five batterings. I'm going to give it uh, four out of five as well. Um, the cover, like Dustin said, is amazing. The interior artwork is, is super clean looking. Um, four out of five, and I, I just love the way Detective is going right now. Uh, I'm going to drop it down a little bit and give it a 3.5 out of five. Artwork is awesome, um, but I think... The, the story's a little slow and too many elements that are coming in like who's the random guy that shot him and who's that guy trying to take Bruce Wayne down and all those sorts of things. And over on the website, Corbin Poole gave the issue four and a half out of five batterings, so that's going to give Detective Comics number 31 a total of four out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book. Batman Eternal number five, written by James the Fourth, who actually wrote the script, art by Andy Clark. We start off in Red Robin's Nest, which is, I guess, Red Robin's hideout within Gotham City that is, by my knowledge, outside of Teen Titans, we've never heard about. But Alfred is there, and Alfred is saying, you know, uh, you know, you're, 
Batman wasn't a fan of you setting up this unauthorized Robin's nest in the city. And Red Robin states, well, the reason for that is because you didn't want my stuff connected to the back computer because I don't want to be on the network. Um, so you're, you're the only one who's allowed to be here. He basically is deducing that all of the children who were affected by the, who were at the museum when Professor Pig was, who got sprayed with the stuff, all of their symptoms are the same and they were actually showing symptoms before the attack on the museum leading them to believe that this is all taking place from somewhere else. Um, as we find out, it's actually from a building, the Philip Kane Memorial Projects in the Narrows, and all of these other, there's other kids who are also showing the exact same signs of this illness. We then cut to the Philip Kane Memorial Projects, where we see Harper Rowe and her brother Cullen. Um, Harper Rowe is going to go out on patrol. Cullen says, uh, you know, I, I'm feeling sick. Just promise you won't get into trouble. Uh, we then go to the Gotham Gazette, where we see two different reporters, obviously Vicky Vale and another person who, uh, his name is Joey Day. He broke the Joker story years ago, but he doesn't break stories now. All he does is write retrospectives. Vicky Vale is kind of upset about the fact that the only news that anybody is reporting on is the Gordon stuff, but there's no real news there. Um, after that, we're introduced to a new recruit to the Gotham Gazette. She's pretty ticked off about the fact that, uh, new guys come in, they can, you know, throw together some, some stuff in 15 minutes and have it up on the interwebs for everyone to read. And, uh, she wants to find out exactly what's actually going on. Joey Day ends up telling her, listen, I've got some informants still down in the narrows and there's a gang war that's breaking out. You should investigate it and take the new guy along with you. Um, in the Narrows, Red Robin is uh, checking on a child who is in still in the building who wasn't at the museum. When Batman approaches him, um, Red Robin reveals that it, it turns out the reason that all these children are sick is because there's a there's they're infected with nanobots, and uh, they don't know exact and it's way beyond anything that any lab is currently producing. Uh, Batman takes off because he has to deal with something happening with. Uh, the penguins, an attack on a penguin, uh, place. Red Robin says that's fine, take off. Uh, now at, on the other area, in another area of the Narrows, Vicky Vale and the new recruits of the Gotham Gazette, um, approach some thugs and Vicky Vale immediately, uh, says, you know, can you tell us about, I've got a question for you, I've got 50 bucks, what can you tell us about Herman Falcone? Uh, the guy pops out a knife and says, uh, there's nothing that you're supposed to be knowing about right now, so stop being curious, when suddenly he's zapped. Um, Harper Rowe ends up taking out all of these guys very quickly with her taser, and it appears to be some uh, brutal force. Um, and then Harper Rowe says, you guys are idiots, follow me. Um, and she takes them, she takes Vicky Vale and the Gotham Gazette uh, recruit who has his camera, um, to her apartment uh, while they're there right above it turns out right above the child who red robin is investigating some sort of the nanobots come out of the body in some sort of swarm and go to attack him but uh right below in harper rose apartment the thugs have all come back somehow they got up from being beat beyond belief and tased and they have followed them to the apartment they're about to actually take uh, start hurting Harper Rowe and Vicky Vale and, uh, and Cullen and the other Gotham Gazette employee. 
when suddenly Red Robin falls to the floor and the swarm stops attacking him and goes after the thugs. We then see that Cullen has been infected by the nanobots as well, and the nanobots actually come out of They appear to come out of his body, um, but it's not... I'm, I'm unsure for sure. Um, Cullen's out... Um, we see Vicky Vale grab the taser from Harper and says she's going to go ask uh, one of these thugs a question. We see that uh, the next headline on the next day is Gang War Erupts in Gotham City, exclusive by Vicky Vale. And in Tokyo, we see a gentleman with a monkey on his back that says, Oh dear, it seems the nanobots were activated ahead of schedule. Young Mr. Wayne, he won't like this at all. I should know, Maxwell. After all, I did train them. I... I... Let me rephrase it. I should know, Maxwell. After all, I did train him. And that's the end of the issue. All right, so issue five. Lots of stuff going on, introducing more characters into the mix. Um, this isn't the first time we've seen Vicky Vale or Harper Row. We've actually seen them in the previous issue. But this is really kind of starting their story more so. Uh, Vicky Vale getting the scoop about the gang war. Harper Row being, you know, us, them showing that Harper Row is going out on patrols on her own. Um, even though we've seen this in other issues, even though it's been some time, we've seen it before, but this, you know, the gang war is about to erupt, she's involved, she knows exactly what's going on because she has the inside information of what's happening in the Narrows. What did you guys think about the story and how, the, the, the basically the stories between Red Robin, Vicky Vale, and Harper Rowe, and how they all intertwined in this one issue? I, um... I like the interaction in this this issue between Batman and, and Red Robin, and I like how that kind of progressed into him running into Harper. Um, I like Harper. I, I, I mean, I don't, you know, I'm always kind of glad when she shows up. Um, Thank goodness there's another one on this show. Well, she's not. She's not. She's not really around that much. I mean, I know there's this consensus between some people on here that are also male, and some people on here that used to be on here that are male. That Harper's around a lot, but I don't really. She's not really there that much. Um, and I, I like the interaction here between Red Robin and, and, and Harper and Cullen. I think that that's, you know, especially when you have this kind of weird segment. We have the people in the room saying, "Well, I have a poster of you on my wall." I mean, that's kind of stuff would would lend itself to happen. I don't really. I, I think that the the Vicky Vale character here is kind of unnecessary. Um, I, I'm assuming they're setting her up for something much bigger down the line in Eternal. Um, but she was the one to me that felt like she didn't need to be part of this. But I liked uh, I liked all of the Red Robin storyline through here, and, and I like her his interaction with, with Harper. Um, so yeah, I actually enjoyed that part quite a bit. I think it was a little too happenstance that all of a sudden three people run into each other in the same exact location, um, and especially like it felt to me like let's throw everything in there. All at once, which is throw in the kitchen sink. And that's something you do at the end of a story, I think, not necessarily at the beginning. Um, I would have been fine with seeing Batman swoop in and rescue Vicky, which is actually what I thought was going to happen because in the scene where Vicky is talking to Joey, you see Batman in the skyline behind them swinging, which you can assume like was after the conversation with Tim. Uh, so I, I would have been fine with that. Or Tim was already in that vicinity, uh, kind of. So why couldn't he have done that? Because um, I do like Harper, but I feel like 
was that is that where she was going? Shouldn't she have been somewhere else? So I, I think it was just a little too coincidental to have everybody shoved in one room together. It seemed like a reality show. Uh, I feel like probably there's going to be some sort of purpose, and I hope that this was not for naught um, and that in the future we'll have interactions with them if we're if they force them together so now perhaps there will be some sort of secret alliance on survivor between vicky tim and harper right the my thoughts on this is i didn't really have a problem with it i just want to state for the record yes i have said multiple times that harper Rowe is in the comics too much but it's not so much about the fact that she's in the comics. It's just that she feels when she is in, when she has appeared, it feels as if they're just throwing her in there. This doesn't feel like that. So I'm okay with her in this. I don't want everybody to think that Harper Rowe is a character that I wish would just ultimately just die and never be around anymore. You know, I'm, I'm willing to give her a chance. It just seems like the times where she's appeared in comics, it has been just complete happenstance complete we're just putting her in here because we're we're trying we're trying to keep her relevant this doesn't feel like that yes we know that Harper Rowe is eventually going to become bluebird at this point we know that she's going to be a character that is going to have a future in the series based off of what we saw in Batman number 28 so having her pop up and us you know t- hear her story i'm okay with it you know, the fact that, you know, her brother happened, or well, the fact that they both happened to live in the building, or one of the buildings that was affected by the nanobots, you know, there's, there's a, there's a point where, you know, that, that makes sense. Um, Cullen, you know, is, is younger than her. He's infected with these nanobots. Um, the fact that she, they're showing her going out on the troll, using the tasers or the electric stuff that we know that she will eventually use. It's all gradually leading up to something. That's fine. Every other time we've had Harper Rowe outside of Batman Eternal, outside of Batman number 28, all those other times, we're, we weren't really going anywhere. It was just like, here, hey, here's Harper Rowe, and here's what we're going to learn about this month. But we haven't seen her for months upon months because of whatever reason. This works. This is fine. I don't have a problem with her being in this because they're at least trying, they're, they're, they're telling her story. They're not just, Here's an issue that, you know, somebody's taking a month off from, so we're going to write a side issue, and we're going to deal, you know, focus on Harper Row. This works. Um, I do find it a little bit too coincidental that somehow they all end up in the same place. Why would Harper Row, who she says to Vicky Vale, forget you even met me, why would she bring Vicky Vale and this other person back to her apartment? Why wouldn't she just say, get in your car and leave, since their car was right across from where... They, they they came in contact with the thugs to begin with. Why did she have to take them back to the, the apartment and tell them, you know, just for, forget you ever saw me? That doesn't make any sense. Um, the fact that Red Robin just happened to be, you know, right above them and fell through to conveniently have the swarm attack the the thugs, uh, I don't know. I, there's a lot of little too many things. But the, the conversation that took place between Batman and Red Robin and even Red Robin and Alfred in the beginning of the issue, it shows that, that they're, they're still at terms. And in some ways, it also shows that Tim could be at, 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 uh, at ends with Batman because of the events of what happened with Dick too. So, uh, even though we don't know what exactly what happens due to the fact that Nightwing 30 was, was postponed along with the end of Forever Evil. But 
we know that something's happened. We know that he's referencing times from Death of the Family as well as the events of Forever Evil with Dick. So, you know, it makes sense for Tim to be at odds with Batman. Um, but I, I think that their interactions, it mirrored what you would expect. But it also doesn't explain how the, he has a secret base in Gotham that Batman did not authorize, but yet we've never seen it or heard of it. Not, not that I'm aware of. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong if anybody else has seen it, but I haven't seen the Robin's Nest in any, anything else. No, I haven't. No, I haven't. Yeah, so I'm not, you know, there could have been a little bit more of an explanation of, especially since Tim has been so far outside or so far removed from the Batman universe and the Bat family since the New 52, you know, throwing in, hey, he's got the secret base and uh, the secret base Alfred knows about, uh, but Batman doesn't approve of, but we've never even, you know, we've the extent of Tim coming in and being in Gotham within the New 52 uh, timeline uh, he was on one page during uh, the Night of the Owls. That was pretty much it. And then he was also in uh, Death of the Family, but he was with Jason Todd, never interacted with Batman at all, and was with the Teen Titans the entire time. So that's the, there, there's, there's a couple problems there. The other thing I want to talk about is the, um, the character at the very end. Now, I don't know if you guys know or realized who that guy was, when I first read it, and he, the guy at the end specifically says, uh, young Mr. Wayne, or it, it, he won't like this at all, I was thinking he was referring to Damian Wayne. Because I'm thinking, well, Bruce Wayne's not that young. So I don't know why he would be call, talking about Bruce Wayne. And I'm thinking Damian's not around, so who is he talking about? So I, I look back and try to figure out who this guy was. And this guy, his name is Sergey, or Sergey. And he was actually from a backup that appeared in Batman number 22. And this, uh, the backup was written, the backup was written by James Tingan IV along with Scott Snyder. Um, but the story was basically, Sergei was one of the character, or one of the people who trained Batman during his time, um, out, you know, away from Gotham. Um, and the elements that he trained him on was this, the, the technological elements. So this was, in the story that appeared in Batman 22, Bruce Wayne was locked in a thing with a bunch of broken electronics, similar to very Iron Man movie-esque, where he ends up creating the Iron Man suit from a bunch of scraps. Um, Batman creates a pair of gloves that he actually uses to climb out of this hole that he is, he's in, and uh, then... The Sergei, along with his monkey, who has mechanical arms and legs, is like, yes, it should have been impossible, but you did it, you did it. And so the fact that this guy uh, is, you know, has something to do with the nanobots, it's kind of interesting. I mean, clearly he's, he looks older compared to his appearance in Batman 22 because some years have passed. But I, you know, I'm sure Bruce Wayne, okay, based off of the the the, the actual dialogue, it would imply that either Bruce Wayne knows about it and he's not going to like the fact that they were activated ahead of schedule, or it implies that Bruce Wayne is, isn't going to like it because he's doing something that he shouldn't be and he knows full well that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Um, I'm, who knows? It's interesting to pull this character who is so obscure to the point where he's only had one appearance within the New 52, even though the New 52 is still, still pretty fresh. 
It's a very obscure character who just appeared in a backup in an issue over, you know, a year ago. It's smart to do that because it makes you really kind of try to figure out who the guy is. But at the same time, I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on the nanobots and this guy's appearance. And do you think the addition of this guy along with, you know, just just the overwhelming cast of characters that we've already been introduced to, and I'll talk more about this when we get into issue six, do you think it's starting to get a little too crowded, even if it is a weekly? Um, I would not have recognized this guy if you hadn't just told me who he was. Um, I think the dialogue was meant to make us infer or think that he was, in fact, you know, from someone, someone in Batman slash Bruce Wayne's past. Um, the fact that he was wrote by Tenyon makes a certain amount of sense that you would see him kind of thrown in in a book that Tenyon's a part of the writing team on. So that that does kind of kind of make it come full circle. Um, as far as the amount of characters each week, there there is a lot of characters in the book so far. I think that's probably a function of this kind of grand sense of storytelling of how many characters they're going to need to be in how many different places. Um, this issue is by far the biggest, uh, you know, offender of having too many people in it as compared to the other issues. Um, but the other thing is we're not really having – we're jumping around a bit on storylines here where we we see something in one book that isn't totally reflective in the next book, although they're related story-wise. It's not a, a strict narrative of, okay, issue number 30 ends and issue 31 picks up in the same place. Um, I do feel like there's sometimes too many characters in these eternal issues, but I think that's because of a story necessity, so I'm willing to overlook it. So, yes, I – I know I'm telling it sound like I'm talking on both sides of my mouth. Yes, I feel like there's too many characters in some issues, but I understand why they're there if that uh if that makes any sense. Um I yeah, this threw me off quite a bit and I didn't like it at all. I, I felt like it was a really big departure from where we were going last time where I felt like we had a good feel for everything and, and we had a good sense of the mystery and wondering who these bad guys were. We had Seth Brown, we had uh the, the gangs and everything and Falcone and we're only tangentially related to that because Vicky Vale is um, kind of on the case of Falcone but it just I feel like I've cut into perhaps a tie-in like it's another story that's somewhat related but it's just another book and uh, for me I, I didn't really like that I was just inundated with several different characters um, and I feel like if we are going to focus on, well, it's, you know, 52 issues, weekly series. What I mean, you could have cut the number of characters in half and it would have been fine. Don't overwhelm so easy. I think they're showing their hands and just trying to throw in everything they can right away. And that's not the way to go because it's just going to be overwhelming for people. And, and I think just the story got super, super muddy. Um, where the heck did these nanites come from? I still didn't really get the connection. Um, yeah, they're somehow connected to pig, but I mean, it's it's not really explained and how did they where are they coming out from are they just coming out of all their bodily orifices um or <laughs> were they in the walls like i just don't understand like whew, that whole thing cuz i mean their mouths are open but the the first little kid and i think the first kid should have been i think if we were to cut down on stuff if it were harper's brother i think that would have been much better just like cut to the chase and then that's a way to bring her in uh, but the first guy that was infected, I mean, it's like they come out of the wall. So I don't really understand that. I think the nanites, wow, um, talk about a storyline that I don't think has 
it, maybe it'll become clear later, but it for me, I was just like, what's this doing in here? Can we get back to the task at hand? My, my biggest problem with this issue is that it just... It, it's it it's inter- it seems like it's just introducing a completely separate storyline from everything else that's happening. Yes, like like you said, Stella, the the Falcone thing is kind of brought forward along with the you know the fact that Vicky Vale is investigating it, and we get the reveal at the end with the newspaper saying that there's a gang war erupting in Gotham. But like outside of that, nothing really is is progressing from the last or from any of the other storylines because. Red Robin specifically says this, this: these nanites are too advanced for Pig. This isn't Pig's. Uh, so here we are. We're eliminating Pig, who that would be the only carryover from the previous issues. The, I mean, the biggest problem is this is the fifth issue of the series, and here we are getting more characters that we can focus on and tell other stories about. Which, okay, fine. You know, I'm, I'm. I'm fine with having a story about tons of characters. Those are the honestly some of my favorite stories. No Man's Land, Hush, these ones that cover so many of the characters from the Batman universe. The problem is you have to figure out a way to tie them in all in together. And like this one does a pretty decent job of figuring out a way to at least with with, you know, shoestrings tie it together because of the, the loose connections with issue one and the Falcones, but like outside of or I should say Falcone because the, we, the other ones aren't around. But, uh, but I mean, the, the problem is that it just doesn't feel like we're getting anywhere. My last thing I want to just talk about, which it's just like a, a comment, is the cover. Some of the the biggest problem I've had so far with the, this series is their covers. They're they're very loosely depicting what's happening in the issue. They're not necessarily focusing on. Here's the thing. We have so many characters that are popping up in these issues. You would think that the the covers would do a better job of just focusing on the characters who are going to be focused on in the issue. Now obviously you can't have an issue that or an issue that has the cover of, with Harper Row who's nobody at this point in time, the normal mainstream public. Uh you have Red Robin and you've got Vicky Vale. Those are really the main characters in the story. But yet the cover has Red Robin's semi-head. It's not even his full head. And then you've got Batman beating the crap out of these nanobots. Or nanites. It, I mean, And Batman's barely even in the book. So, I mean, like, I get it's a Batman title. Batman has to be on the cover in order for it to sell. But, like, if they could figure out some way so that, you know, when you look at the cover, you can know, hey, this book is actually going to feature these specific characters because this is the storylines we're going to focus on in this issue. Not... Batman beating up nanites that have never popped up ever before, and Batman not even involved with the nanites in the book at all, other than just to say, yes, Red Robin, great job finding that out, and then I gotta go now. See you later. They gotta figure out something, because if they, like, did something where it was like, because even, because even when you look at the, the, the writers, they have all four or five, all five writers' names on the cover. Instead of having the writer who's writing the script, you could then in turn figure out, okay, this story could be picking up for from where his last issue was. For example, with issue six, Ray Fox, it's a supernatural issue. So if you have Ray Fox's name at the top of the list, you'd be able to tell, hey, this is probably a book focusing on the supernatural element. But instead, it's just a generic cover. You have no idea what the issue is going to be about based off the cover. 
and you have no idea, you know, the theme, even though there are definitely sub-themes for this entire series. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of a problem with comics in general, though, right now. Like, there's so many times the covers have absolutely no bearing on what's going on at all. Um, and like you said, they could have done this with Red Robin in the foreground with Harper in the background and Batman swinging above them or something, and that would have made loosely some sense. But yeah, this one is a radical departure from anything that's actually taking in place inside the comic book. I mean, to be honest, this has happened before, uh, and I'm not really too shocked about it. I think it happened during Requiem or something. There was like this false cover where Tim Drake was on it and he wasn't even in the actual book. Um, and I mean, this is similar. I mean, Batman was present, at least you could say, and Tim Drake was covered by nanites. I don't think we'll ever get back to the 60s where the covers were literally a panel from the inside of the book without, you know, the word bubbles and everything. So it gave you a taste of it. It's not going to be that way anymore. Um, so I think they can tease and make, I mean, it's just like a trailer for a movie. They're going to put out these random parts and it's going to make you think one thing, but it's completely different. So if they want to do that, I mean, I'm, I, it doesn't really bother me. Because it's going to happen. Well, this has happened before. It, it's not so much about the fact that like it's depicting something that's not happening in the book. It's not so much about that. It's just I'd like to be able to s- look at the cover and say, I know which I know which story is going to be told here. Not I know the story that is being told here. It's you know because you have the supernatural now that we have this nanite storyline that obviously you know you've got Harper Row and Red Robin involved in. You've got the the story of the Falcone uh, gang war with Penguin. Th- there's definitely some different themes. You've got the crime uh, drama with the the gang war. You've got this technological stuff with Red Robin and Harper Row. You've got the supernatural stuff happening with Batwing and Spectre. There's different things happening, but yet the there's no way to tell because the biggest thing is there's some people who really like certain aspects of this. Are they going to pick up every issue? Eventually, they'll start. They'll, well, they will start picking up every issue. But as time goes on, they're going to start to pick and choose which issues they pick up because they're not. It's not one continuous story. It's one giant story that's being told from multiple point of views over the course of maybe a month. And I think that marketing-wise, they're going to have a problem when that happens because I know for a fact that there's people out there who do not like the supernatural element of Batman who, you know, do not want to have anything to do with that, who don't want to pick up those issues. But if they give up those issues, are they still going to be able to follow everything that's going on? I would assume so, but how are they going to know the difference between the issues? So that's all I'm saying. All right, Batman Eternal, I'm going to give a total of three out of five batterings. Uh, hmm, this one's tough for me. Uh, I'm going to go to two and a half out of five batterings. And I'm going to agree with Ed and say two and a half. All right, and over on the website, Jonathan Klausner gave the issue three out of five batterings, so it's going to give Batman Eternal number five a total of two and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our last book, Batman Eternal number six. Batman Eternal number six, written by Scott Snyder and James Tinian, with uh, the script written by Ray Fox, art by Trevor McCarthy. The issue starts off with Batwing fighting against Gentleman Ghost, and Batman stepping in and making Gentleman Ghost disappear or fly away. Batwing says, what was that? And Batman says, listen, there's some supernatural things that you may not understand or believe in, but they exist. 
Uh, we then see what what appears to me is Mr. Phosphorus or Dr. Phosphorus um, in some place, and he's I guess being referred to as one of the supernatural elements. Um, we then see um, Batman come back to the Batcave, where Alfred tells him he has a guest waiting in the library. It's Jim Corrigan, also known as the Spectre. Um, he is actually there to tell Batman that he feels some energy that's coming into Gotham. There's a lot of magic elements that normally aren't associated with Gotham happening right now, and he liked to investigate them. He goes, well, where would you like to start? He goes, well, the biggest thing is uh, I feel a lot of energy coming from Arkham Asylum. Um, he says, Batman says, I've got other things to take care of at this point in time. Um, you know, I had, you know, I spent plenty of time sitting down and watching you swirl your magic Boston Sour around, but I have more important things to do, so I'll send somebody with somebody out to, to go with you. Um, we cut to uh, Arkham Asylum, where a, it appears a doctor is leading a, a prisoner down into the, the to the bowels of Arkham Asylum, and the 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 inmate is talking about, "Are you going to give me some medication? Because I've been having really bad dreams. Um, I've been seeing all of these things in my bad dreams." Uh, we then see Maxi Zeus. Um, I'll just leave it at that. It's just, I guess, a cameo by Maxi Zeus in the bottom of uh, Arkham Asylum. We see handprints being slapped on the walls by other inmates who all happen to be missing various limbs. Um, and then the, he's introduced to the Joker's daughter, who has been chopping arms off of various people and using them because she's trying to bring back. She's trying to bring back the Joker. Um, and she claims that she is the Princess of Dreamland. All right. Uh, at Luke Fox's apartment, he's uh, talking. He's with one of his friends where he gets a phone call from Batman after an explosion happens. And Batman says, don't worry about the explosion. I'm going to respond to that. I need you to go and meet somebody at Arkham Asylum. Uh, Batwing goes and meets Jim Corrigan. Uh, Jim Corrigan wraps him with some sort of magical shield, um, and then they proceed to go towards Arkham Asylum. After exchanging a couple of different things about, you know, who Jim Corrigan is, what Batwing knows, they head straight towards it. Uh, on the streets of Gotham, Batman is driving the Batmobile, and uh, he's talking to Alfred, and basically there was a there's there was fire crews that were dispatched medical supplies towards an old warehouse in Gotham, but uh, there's there's supposedly some napalm at one of these warehouses. Um, the the truck that was tagged um, by Batman um, is is somewhere th he follows into he follows through Gotham. We see Doctor Phosphorus sitting amongst a bunch of uh, flammable barrels of stuff as Batman approaches the truck we see someone say are you ready Dr. Foster says, says I am ready and he then takes the, the lids off of the cans we can presume that he's inside of the semi trailer um, and a giant explosion goes off as the Batmobile is right there and the semi trailer blows up next piggy pig pig alright so, Batman Eternal number six. Okay, so the biggest thing in this issue, different from the last issue, was the supernatural element. We have a number of different things. Now, again, we're introduced to even more characters. Now, Batwing comes into the fold. We're introduced to Joker's daughter and how she's somehow playing a role into this story. Uh, the Spectre is now involved. Um, 
you know, there's a, there's all kinds of stuff happening left, right, and center when it comes to Batman Eternal. I've read multiple people, including the very review that was on our website from Jonathan, um, who said that they absolutely hated this issue due to the supernatural stuff and how none of it was really that was explained very well that Batwing shouldn't have been the one person to be teamed with the Spectre. Why wasn't it uh, Batwoman? Yeah. Who has had plenty of different, mm -hmm. uh, you know, situations that she's come in contact with the supernatural element. Why was it Batwing who was attached? So well, there's an easy answer for that. What's the easy answer? The easy answer is that Batwoman's really not affiliated with the Bat family. That is the easy answer. Although in Batman number one, or Batman Eternal number one, they did show Batwoman implying that at some point she could partake in something that's in this stuff that's happening. True. I would assume at some point she'd have to come and play if all of this stuff is happening in Gotham. She'd have to come and play in some way. Especially with the fact that they're not telling... Ever since they switched from J.H. Williams and W. Hayden Blackman as the writers to uh, Mark Andreco last year... Ever since that happened, suddenly Batwoman has been tied into all of these different things that have been happening. So when that happens, I assume that at some point she is going to come into the mix, even if she's not affiliated with them, even if we know full well, based off of everything that was written about her in the beginning, Batman invited her to join, she didn't want to, and that was that. And that's why she doesn't really come in contact with Batman, other than just the occasional brush by. But she could based off of the fact that they no longer have the writers who originally wrote that stuff. That being said, they should have had that woman deal with the supernatural element, and then she could have just done the stuff by, on her own, and Batman could have just made the, the connection between the two, and that could have been it, because, you know, maybe Corrigan knows about Batwoman's uh, past with the supernatural elements, and that would have made more sense, but whatever, that is what it is. But... I want to, again, we get introduced to more characters. Um, the biggest thing that I had a problem with was Joker's daughter. Now, I'll, I will be the first to admit I didn't read the Joker's daughter one shot that came out a couple months back. I don't know if either one of you did. Uh, ever since the Joker's daughter got introduced and we read that issue back in uh, Villains Month of last September, I have wanted to stay as far away from that character as physically possible because it's just horrible. Um, that being said, I don't know if the one-shot introduced her into some new light or something that leads us into what we're reading here. I don't know. But the fact that somehow she went from being a sewer rat who has the Joker's face plastered on her, on her face to basically running the underbelly of Arkham Asylum and having Arkham in her back pocket doesn't make any sense to me. And I know that that's one of the reasons a lot of people also dislike this issue was because she made an appearance. Thoughts on Joker's daughter and the supernatural elements? Uh, well, if, 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 <laughs> uh, I wish the biggest problem I had with this issue was that we should have had Batwoman. Although that certainly would have made more sense. Um, the Joker's daughter, I did not read the one shot. I, 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 I was, my only exposure from her was during Catwoman, which was bad. But I don't know what purpose she serves here. Um, with with so many notable villains that you could put running the underground of Arkham from Black Mask to anybody else, insert name here. Hell, even the cameo from Maxi Zeus, I'd be more likely to believe he was the one run running the underbelly of Arkham than her. Um, she seems like she's shoehorned in here. 
I, I don't dislike the, the Spectre part of it. I think the Spectre's kind of a cool character. Um, Batwing is probably... It seems like they almost pulled Batwing's name out of a hat. Like, we need a Batman team member and Batwing. Um, uh, so I probably wouldn't go with that personally. But I don't mind the supernatural elements. I, I wish that they would keep them together. Like, if they were going to do a, a supernatural part of the storyline, I'm totally fine with it. But if they did three episodes in a row, four episodes in a row, uh, hopefully we don't switch back and forth all the time because that will get confusing quick. Um, but again, I I don't know enough about the Joker's daughter to understand why she's popular. Um, if she's popular, I know they DC certainly seems to think that she's popular, and that still can't all be based off that one Catwoman issue selling out. I wouldn't think. Um, but uh, I, she seems totally misplaced here, and I don't know what she adds to the story uh, at all. And I'm not quite sure why she thinks cutting off or the playing around with the arms is going to make uh, the Joker reappear. To be honest. Each time you said popular, I want to break into the Wicked song "Popular." You're gonna be popular. <laughs> um, Why is she like like? Did you read the one shot, Stella? No, goodness, oh, no. no. I Damn. had enough of her. And what did we have to read? The villains month. The villains month. But we also Ed and I read it in Catwoman. And it was oh. that too. So Terrible. did she get out of the underworld then? Or was I don't she know. still we in the underworld? Podcast and I never finished it. Yeah, oh. basically, once, once, uh, if I remember correctly, I believe we drop, dropped Catwoman before we even put the point, we stopped the point five cast. We were going? It was that bad. Because it was, it was unreadable. Yeah. It made no, I mean, it, it literally made no sense at all. Um, and her character in it was just this goofy guy with coats of pennies and just, it's ridiculous. Yep, yep. yep. Like oh, that guy again. Yeah, he looked like Thor. Um, Dr. Phosphorus, though, that maybe that's the connection is because Dr. Phosphorus was also involved in that ridiculous storyline with Catwoman and, mm. uh, Joker's daughter. So I wonder if maybe that's the weird connection that they're making here. But would you consider him supernatural? No. No, I would not. But. Yeah, so. Reason, yeah. Uh, that, that's actually part of the reason I was actually hesitant as to who it was because Initially, when I first started reading it, and they they made the and you know you have the appearance of of Doctor Phosphorus on the, the the you know one of the first few pages of the issue, and then you have Batman saying the stuff about supernatural and ex, you know sometimes there's things you can't understand and you know you can't explain them but they're they're real and you know talking about the nth metal and gentleman ghost and then we see this picture of or we see this panel of Doctor Phosphorus. I was like, is that supposed to be Doctor Phosphorus? I don't know. I would think it is because it sure looks like him, but I don't know if it is. But it is. But again, I don't. I don't know. They, they've messed with Doctor Phosphorus ever since the cat, ever since he was in Catwoman too. So I don't know if maybe he has some supernatural element now to him too. I I don't know. What doesn't? I thought Doctor Phosphorus always kind of fit into the mad scientist group of villains, right? That's what I thought too. Hmm. Um. So let's see. You kind of asked like a multi-layered question here so uh, I guess I'll attack it a little bit at a time I dislike the Joker's daughter greatly um, I looked at this panel and I asked myself what's that on her shoulder is that an arm why is there an arm on her shoulder <laughs> and then of course there are arms at the bottom of, of the chair and everything not so sure what's going on so no I don't like her appearance but can the appearance be explained? 
That's what I'm wondering because, you know, how does this all connect? I feel like if we look at these two issues this month, I wonder what 7 and 8 has in store for us. If we look at this month compared to last month, I feel like we're in a completely different story. And I don't think that's a good thing. Um, if you want to bring in supernatural elements with Batman, I guess there's got to be a really good reason, but it doesn't tie to anything I think we have going on. Um, I, I totally see the argument not liking Batman to go against supernatural elements. I, I just had Michael Bailey on my podcast, and we talked about that because Batgirl kind of had to go up against stuff, and, and it just feels really weird in Batgirl number 30, which we don't review anymore. But um, it just feels weird because you wanted to do street-level crime. You want him to deal with that kind of stuff so why are you doing this um and batman superman remember and even that backup which i think dustin that you like that backup um with the supernatural elements you know i guess it kind of works but it depends on what characters you have around him i like the inclusion of the specter um but again i think there has to be a purpose and and phosphorus i don't think is the supernatural reason i mean it just seemed like i was leaping into a random one shot where i i jump into a sword with batwing fighting gentleman ghost and then nth metal is brought up and then i was looking through the pages wondering if hawkman was going to pop up so yeah why is there hawkman there and that would have been the logical leap wouldn't have instead of uh the specter um i don't know about batwing uh yes i think everyone would have said yeah let's bring in batwoman but maybe people are not or DC editorial is not as hot on Batwoman as as they were before, and they just want to do that random in-your-face panel of the previous issue or whenever that was. Um, so, yeah. So I guess I'm just resigned to accept, like, this is apparently what they're doing, uh, but hopefully it'll be explained somehow. And I'm looking forward to 7 and 8 to see if any of this is cleared up whatsoever. Hopefully I'm not by myself thinking that this is just, like, a different story. Altogether. Well, it is a different story altogether. I mean, the first four issues of Batman Eternal were a pretty tightly wound, well put together storyline that was interesting and engaging. These two aren't. I mean, the problem is that we're breaking off on many, many different directions, and that's basically what we're going to see. We're going to see some characters team with other characters, and they're just going to go off in their own little directions in the world of Batman Eternal. And we're, they're probably not going to interact that much with the other characters until further down the line. So that's why we see, you know, Joker's daughter in Arkham Asylum, and we see, uh, you know, Spectre and Batwing going to Arkham Asylum because they're all going to be involved in the same storyline for the foreseeable future. The Doctor Phosphorus Batman—that's probably the one thing that's probably going to carry over into the next issue. That's what I would assume because obviously you can't deal with Batman being in front of an explosion or involved in an explosion and not deal with it the next issue. Uh, but then again, I've seen crazier things happen besides something like that. Um, the, the other thing that I wanted to talk about, which is kind of just a, kind of a small thing, is the, you know, is, is actually more about the Dr. Phosphorus. You know, does Dr. Phosphorus kind of fall, we already, we already talked about really my main question, which was, does he really fall in the supernatural elements of it, other than just the way he's drawn, kind of looking spooky and supernatural-like. But he really doesn't fall in it. We've already discussed that. But what do you feel as if his 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 role in all of this is? He appears that he is taking orders from somebody. He's creating this explosion. But it's difficult to say because if you look at some of if you look at really high detail some of these panels, the first panel towards the end of the issue 
where he is kneeling down ar- along the, the, the flammable barrels. If you look up, there's pipes coming off of the ceiling. There's, well, something like that would not be in the back of a trailer. So I don't know if, I don't know if there was maybe an art mistake or something, but it doesn't really, to me, look like he's in a semi-trailer. Um, the explosion happens, and of course, it just happens to be timed the same time as, uh, Batman being there in front of the semi, but is it really the same thing? Would, would Dr. Phosphorus cause the explosion around him just so that Batman would be involved in the explosion? I don't know. So I, I have a hard time believing one, just based off the art, that this is actually inside of a semi-trailer. Um, two, I don't really understand the need for this to be happening, other than maybe Dr. Phosphorus has been corrupted to work with whoever the mastermind behind all of this is. I don't know, just like we saw with uh, Arthur Brown, Cluemaster, and the rest of his gang of misfits. Maybe they're all just being corrupted to work for this higher power and thinking that they'll be able to take out Batman and the Bat family. But then again, I, I don't know. I don't really understand what the point of it is. Do you feel like Dr. Phosphorus was really needed for this based off of what we saw in the issue? No. Um, I don't feel like he was needed. I, I, I think that, honestly, what you're seeing here is they're throwing in a bunch of C-list, D-list, whatever you want to look at them, of lower-tier villains um, and saving the big names, be it the people that are behind it or not, guys like Riddler, Penguin, Joker, Scarecrow even, I think they're, 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 they're saving those names for the farther, farther we get into this 52-issue storyline. I think right now all we're going to be fed is, is Little Fish. Um, and I don't think we're going to get to the real Predators for, for a while. Which is a bummer if you think about it because we were teased the, the big fish so, so uh, at the beginning. Yeah. So now they did that, and now we have to wait for 50-odd issues in order to actually get to that. Uh, you know, it's interesting you ask it in that manner, Dustin, because I feel like Phosphorus could have been the good element of this story, and we could have done without all the other stuff that really mucks it up. So I think it's all about perspective. Was Phosphorus thrown into the supernatural thing, or was the supernatural element thrown into the phosphorus story um and i'd like to think that maybe the supernatural was just the superfluous element and phosphorus was the focus because i think if you just look at it that way i think it turns out to be a better issue um because you don't have this stuff that doesn't really make sense you've got phosphorus he somehow is getting out which i guess was caused by the gentleman ghost kind of um and you know he's i would say a legitimate bad guy um and yeah, you've got this question as to why he's exploding things and and what what he's actually doing, and and I think that's a better mystery than wondering <laughs> about all this other stuff. And I agree. I, I mean, the thing is, I like I said, I think that the focus is supposed to be on phosphorus because that's the one thing that is going to probably tie into the next issue. But it's more about I I, I think at the same time it also has to do with the fact that phosphorus is probably corrupted into working with whoever it is, just like the other characters. But I but I think that there's there's a lot more to it than what they're playing off. And the the thing is, I, I agree with you, Ed, where you say, you know, a lot of, they're throwing a lot of these characters in here just so that they're here so that we can, you know, we see them, which is fine. But realistically, what was the point of doing this specific character? If they already set up two issues ago or what was it, two or three issues ago at this point, 
Which one was Stephanie Brown? That was issue three, right? Yeah. And so that was issue three where she goes in and you have Plume Master and the other characters. Why didn't they have a character amongst one of them that would cause the explosion? Well, they did. Lockup, he could cause an explosion. Um, I mean, the, 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 there's all kinds of different things they could have done, but to have another character, it just seems like they're just trying to use as many characters as they can, which I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. I I will say that I do like the inclusion of Spectre just because Jim Corrigan, I think, in some ways has ties to the Batman universe, even if it is very, very loose. Uh, Jim Corrigan himself has extremely strong ties at least pre-New 52, to the to Gotham, but him as the Spectre, not so much. But I think that it's interesting to include him, but I question the reason for including him other than just to put in yet another character. Um, and I'll leave it at that. Batman Eternal, number six, I'm going to give a total of two out of five batteries. I'm going to give this a total of two and a half, same as his last one. Yeah, two and a half. Again. All right, so over on the website, Jonathan Klausner gave the issue one and a half out of five batterings. So that's going to give Batman Eternal number six a total of two out of five batterings. That is all of our books. 